We're in a series on Hebrews 11, and last week we began by thinking about how London is like this apple. This is a normal apple of normal, unassuming size and regular, unassuming importance. But if I hold this apple right up to my face... Uh, it really starts to look massive. And the longer that I hold it there, the more important it will start to feel. It's the biggest thing I can see. It demands my attention. And the longer that I hold it in front of my face, the more important I will start to think that it is. When something is right up in your face, it starts to feel huge. And London has a lot in common with this apple. This apple feels much more important when I hold it up to my face and London holds everything right up to your face. So the question for us this evening in London as much as anywhere is how can we live in the light of what's actually important instead of just what's immediately in front of me? Or as uh, the author of the book of Hebrews might put it, how can we hold fast to Jesus in the presence of temptations that draw me away on the one hand or persecutions that get right up in my face on the other hand? And the answer that the author of the book of Hebrews has for us is by faith. Because, as we saw last week, faith gives substance to what we hope for by evidencing what we can't see. The Christian hopes for many, many very, very good things. The whole glory of Christianity is that it depends on and hopes for things that are so excellent that no eye has seen them, so wonderful that no ear has heard them, so glorious that no mind could ever conceive of them. But that is also precisely what makes it so hard. There is a fulfillment gap between what we see and what we hope for, and persecution doubles down on that difficulty. Opposition sees that fulfillment gap and just lays into it by getting right up in your face. So how can we hold fast to Jesus? Answer, by faith, because faith gives substance to what we hope for by evidencing what we can't see. As Christians, we don't just put our hope in God, leaning towards him as the fountain of all goodness. We put our faith in him, leaning on him as the fountain of all truth. God reveals himself to us and we believe he is telling the truth, meaning we can know in our minds what we cannot hold or see or touch with our senses It's not a confidence we can muster up ourselves. It's something we grow in through the repeated assurance of our heavenly father, like a toddler, repeatedly looking back for assurance that mummy or daddy or granny is still there, even when he can't see them. Our faith gives substance to our hope as we habitually turn and look to God as the source of all truth beholding his face in his promises and receiving the assurance of the sunshine of his word. That double assurance that our hope really is certain and our hope really is good because there is no greater hope in heaven and no greater assurance on earth than that everlasting smile of God towards his children. Faith gives substance to what we hope for, by evidencing what we can't see. That's the high-level theory. And the rest of Hebrews 11 is the supercut. 
Last week, we defined what faith is. This week, we're going to see just how necessary it is to live by faith. So first, let's take a moment to consider not just what faith is, but actually what those two words, by faith, mean. There are some things that I can do by sight and receive by sight. Uh, By sight, I can bake a loaf of bread, walk down Regent Street, or play FIFA on the PS5. Uh, But there are some things that I can't do by sight, and I have to do or receive by reason, and by reason's light. Uh, By reason, I can work out how many bags of flour I'll need to bake that loaf of bread, or uh, go to Regent Street and avoid all the crowds when I get there, and know when to arrive in order to do that. Or by reason, I can perform the complex mathematical computations required to make a machine run something like FIFA. There are some things I can do by sight. There are some things I can do by reason. But there are some things I can only do and only receive by faith and by the light of faith. There are some things I can only do by leaning on God as the fountain from which all truth flows, turning to behold his face in his promises. There are some things we can do by sight, some we can do by reason, but there are some things we can only do by faith. And as we take a look at Hebrews 11, what we see is that the need to have faith is far more foundational than we may have first thought. Because verse 6, without faith, It is impossible to please God. Um, Babies aren't born knowing that things keep existing even when they can't see them, as we saw last week. That's what's called object permanence. And it's what makes the game of peekaboo fun. Babies don't realise that when mum hides her face, surprise, she is still there, even when that baby can't see her. Object permanence doesn't come naturally to human beings, But it is only when you start to have it that you can start to really live. Until you know that mum still exists when you can't see her and dad doesn't disappear when he leaves the room, you are going to live very badly. You'll live in constant confusion and chaos and your ignorance, well, that will grow into negligence and your negligence, that will grow into disobedience and your disobedience will grow up into disrespect. Object permanence doesn't come naturally to human beings, but it is only once you have it that you can start to live properly. And the same is true of faith. It is only when we turn to God in faith that we can start to live rightly and properly, that we can start to live at all. Because without faith, it is impossible to come to God. And without coming to God, it is impossible to please him. The author of Hebrews has three examples for us. Take a look at Abel. Uh, Genesis 4 opens with two sons of Adam, Cain and Abel. Abel keeps flocks and Cain works the soil. Cain has dirt under his fingernails and Abel smells like newborn lambs. But they both have sweat on their brow and they both bring offerings before the Lord. Cain, he brings an offering of fruit. Abel, he brings an offering of firstborns. But God is pleased with Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. 
And when we read it, for me at least, it's not immediately obvious why. Possibly it's because Abel offered a blood sacrifice, acknowledging that God isn't just the creator who provides fruit for our life, but the redeemer who has shed blood to cover our sin. Possibly Abel was bringing out of the best of what he had, whereas Cain wasn't. Abel was acknowledging God's preeminence, that he is first in all things. But whatever the reason God looked favorably on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's, The author of Hebrews is under no illusions as to why God looked favorably on Abel himself. Answer, because of his faith. It wasn't Abel's offering that made Abel righteous. Verse four, it was by faith that he was commended as righteous. And it was by that same faith that he brought the better offering. His faith was the means by which he made a better offering, as well as the means by which he received God's commendation. Abel's offering made his faith in God manifest. What set him apart from Cain wasn't the offering itself so much as the faith that led him to make it. Abel leaned on God as the fountain of all goodness and truth, and then lived and died by the light of God's goodness and truth. And wonderfully, the author of Hebrews tells us that light still shines today, radiating from the life that he lived and even radiating from the death that he died. His offering bore visible witness to the God he had faith in. And so so does his blood. Abel lived by faith. Or consider Enoch. On the surface, Enoch's life looks just entirely different to Abel's. Enoch lived for 365 years. He faced opposition, but where Abel's life was violently snatched from him, Enoch had the rare privilege of being just painlessly removed from the pains of this world. We're told surprisingly little about Enoch, given his dramatic departure from life on this earth. Uh, We know that he pleased God, although it's not immediately obvious why this would mean that God took Enoch away in the way that he did. But whatever the reason was that God took Enoch up to heaven, the author of Hebrews is again under no illusions as to why Enoch was commended as pleasing God. It was because of his faith. Enoch didn't lift himself up to heaven. He didn't climb up there with his clever mind. He turned towards God as the fountain of all goodness and truth. And God delighted to graciously lift Enoch immediately up to drink from that wellspring. Enoch lived by faith. Or consider Noah. Abel pleased God and he was violently killed. Enoch pleased God and he was lifted directly to heaven. Noah is different again. Noah pleased God and he was preserved through the floodwaters of death. Sight and sense could not tell Noah what was coming. Reason and careful thought could not tell Noah what was coming. Noah was warned by the God who does not lie, the God of all truth. And Noah lived by faith in the light of what he was told. When Noah built an ark to save his family from the coming floods, he wasn't living sensibly. He wasn't even living reasonably. Noah was living 
faithfully. And sometimes those three don't all line up together. But Noah knew which of those three was most important. Noah didn't ultimately live by sense. He didn't ultimately live by reason. He lived by faith. And his life gave tangible expression to the certainty of God's assurances, bringing condemnation on the world who had lived by the light of their eyes instead of the light of God's promises and making him an heir of the full righteous glory of the God that he had turned towards. Abel lived by faith. Enoch lived by faith. Noah lived by faith. Because, verse 6, without God, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There are some things we can do by sight, some things we can do by reason, but there are some things that we can only do by faith. And the category of things that we can only do by faith is stunningly comprehensive. And it is mercifully feasible. Let me read verse 6 for us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The category of things that can only be done by faith is stunningly comprehensive. It includes Abel's death and his devotion. It includes Enoch's life and his legacy. It includes Noah's deliverance and his inheritance. It includes dying well. It includes living well. And it includes anything done rightly or done well. The category of things that can only be done by faith is stunningly comprehensive because unless we have faith, unless we lean on God and God alone as the fountain of all truth, it will be impossible to please God. And there is nowhere in creation where we shouldn't be living to do that. Think about it like this. It's cute to play peekaboo with newborn children. But if a child grows up without believing that mum and dad are still there, even when they can't be seen, their ignorance will grow up into negligence and disobedience and disrespect. And life without faith looks the same. We can't see or touch God and we cannot reason our way up to him. We can only come to know God by faith. So without faith, we'll be like children who think God doesn't exist because they can't touch him. We'll live like the things we can see are the only things that really matter. We'll grow up in ignorance, and our ignorance will mature into negligence and disobedience and disrespect. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And this is why faith must never be a Sunday-only habit or a church-only habit. The category of things requiring faith includes anything which God may be pleased with, which means it includes everything because God made this whole world. Faith is necessary at all times and in all places. If God made this whole world for his glory, then this whole world 
is a place where I should be living to please him by faith. All of life is a matter of faith. The students know that I am a massive Anglican and a staunch monarchist. And given that it is the Platinum Jubilee weekend, uh, Republicans and Catholics in this room will have to forgive me for going on a bit about the Queen. For 70 years, Queen Elizabeth has been Queen Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of this realm and of her other realms and territories, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith. And I think it's worth pausing on that last title, defender of the faith. History lesson for us, kings and queens of this country have been styled defender of the faith since the 16th century. And the reason that that title has been kept right the way up to the present day is simple. The queen is still crowned the defender of the faith because all of life is a matter of faith. During the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church was asserting that there should be a church-state divide, that the king was supreme over matters of state, secular matters, but the pope was supreme in the spiritual matters of the church. And the reformers of the 16th century, they were having none of it. They were insistent against whoever was making that case. There is no such divide because all of life should be lived to God's glory. So all of life is a matter of faith. That's why the reformers argued that the supreme governor of the kingdom of England ought to also be the supreme governor of the church of England because everything that the queen reigns over is ultimately a spiritual matter. As one reformer put it in slightly antiquated language, let pagans who don't live in the unity of the truth, but the confusion of error, have diverse laws and magistrates, some profane and some holy. Christian people are altogether holy and dedicated to the name of Christ, not in temples only, but in their whole life, in every place, at all times in all things, in all deeds and studies, that according to 1 Corinthians 10, whether he eats or drinks or whatever he does, all may be done to the glory of God. Everything that the queen reigns over is a matter of faith. The whole government of the United Kingdom, as much as that of the Church of England, because faith is as foundational to making good laws as it is to good preaching. Whether it's in the church or the wider kingdom in England's laws or in England's preaching, if that comprehensive foundation of faith is removed, well, eventually all that will remain is the dying afterglow of what the light of faith had once revealed. Which is why at the coronation in 1953, the Queen swore to maintain two things to the utmost of her power, the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. There are many ministers of the crown uh, in the law courts, in the government, in the civil service, and here in the church Diminishingly few of those ministers live by faith, but our Queen does, Monday to Sunday, 
shore to shore, year in, year out, and her whole life of faithful devotion, well, I think it's a lesson for us. Faith is necessary in all things. The list of things that can only be done by faith is stunningly comprehensive. It is no less than everything that Her Majesty reigns over. Shore to shore, Monday to Sunday, and long may her faithful reign continue. The list of things that can only be done by faith is stunningly comprehensive, but more stunning than that, more stunning than how comprehensive it is, is how mercifully feasible it is to live by faith. Don't get me wrong, it is hard to live by faith. Enoch was alienated, Noah was mocked, and Abel, well, he was violently killed. But it is so much more possible to come to God than any sensible or reasonable person had ever dared to dream. Look again at verse 6. What does it say towards the end of verse 6? He rewards those who find him? No. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. How do we please God? By coming to him. How do we come to him? Simply by seeking him. Because when we turn our hearts towards him, he lavishly gives himself to us. Noah could not have pleased God without faith. He could not have saved his family without faith. But even before the ark was finished, he had already been made the heir of what he was hoping for by faith. Noah sought God and God gave himself to Noah. Enoch could not have pleased God without faith. He could not have been taken up to heaven without faith. But even before he was lifted up, he had already come to God by faith. Enoch sought God and God gave himself to Enoch. Abel could not have pleased God without faith. He could not have offered a better sacrifice than Cain without faith. But God was already pleased with him because he had already turned to God by faith. Abel sought God. And God gave himself to Abel. And if you seek after God, he will give himself to you. And if you want proof of that, you need look no further than the pages of scripture. Rewind one more time to 1953 at her coronation. Elizabeth II had just made that stunningly comprehensive vow, swearing to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel to the utmost of her power, a stunningly comprehensive vow. And the last four words of her stunningly comprehensive vow were, so help me, God. And do you know the very next thing that happened in that coronation service? That's when she was presented with a Bible. With that stunningly comprehensive vow still echoing around the abbey as Her Majesty held the Bible in both her hands. These were the words that were said to her. Our gracious Queen, to keep Your Majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. 
These are the lively oracles of God. Elizabeth II prayed for God's help. And in the light of scripture, she was given everything that she needed. The queen sought God and God gave himself to her in his words and by his spirit. It is impossible to please God without faith. The list of things for which faith is necessary is stunningly comprehensive, covering no less than everything that Her Majesty the Queen reigns over, shore to shore, Monday to Sunday, year after year after year. But whether you die like Abel, whether you live like Enoch, whether you are delivered through floods like Noah, whether London gets up in your face with its temptations or persecutions, whether you're doing the school run on Monday or you're in yet another Zoom call on Tuesday, whether you are the Queen of the Commonwealth, or the least servant of all, if you have God's word, then you have everything that you need in order to please him. And wherever and whenever you seek him in its pages, you will wonderfully find that he is already delighted in you. All souls, it is impossible to please God without faith. But when you look to his promises you will see his smile. Let's pray. Lord God, your glory is beyond anything we can see or touch. You are more wonderful than we can imagine, and it is impossible to please you without faith. So we praise you for your words, the most valuable thing that this world affords, by which you have made it possible to live by faith. Would you cause us to live by faith this week and every week, knowing that there is no greater hope in heaven and no greater assurance on earth than the smile that we see in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.